Peterson. Um, we're back in action. It's been a while since we filmed one of these. I'm very happy to get back into this. For those of you who don't know anything about the show, I just want to remind you of the premise once again that this show has always been and will always continue to be about gaining insightful experience from others who have gone a long way in the hospitality slash restaurant industry and then share that to others in our industry so we can all be better from the mistakes and from the victories that other people have made. That has always been the sole intention of this show um, and we're gonna continue to do that. So I have a huge guest to bring back the show that I'm really excited about, Mr. Phil Esteban. How are you doing today, sir? Thanks for having me, Raf. It's a pleasure. Um, you are someone I consider a dear friend. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I know that you're extremely busy. <laughs> I think we both have a hard out. <laughs> yeah. We get out of here pretty quickly to continue on with our work lives. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time to do this in the middle of the day. Um, that being said, that I do consider you a great friend. I was shocked myself uh, when I was doing research, trying to catch up on how many things that you're actually involved with and how much you have going on. It's just very impressive and honestly kind of hard to wrap my head around how you were able to manage to do so much, man. So um, I do want to say a couple more things before we get into this. You know, I've, I've had the opportunity to actually interview quite a few people during this show, which has been, I get, I personally get so much out of it because mm -hmm. I always leave out of these interviews. I were able to connect on a different level than we might not when we're out just doing other random things. But also, I know you long enough that I'm pretty confident in saying that you are who you are through and through and you're very authentic and you do certain things and you're about certain things in your community and your restaurants and the people that surround you. And then I see you walk the walk also. And it's very clear to me. Um, and where I've, I actually talked to a couple of people, again, we're not trying to put out any names here or make anybody look bad, but I've talked with people who, who claim to be a certain thing, then reality means it's maybe not their practice, hmm. right? Hmm. And from everything that I've gathered and I've seen, I, you, you really, it, I think the results speak for themselves that you've really proven to be that person. So I just, I want to say I'm really proud of you, brother. I, I feel like a lot of what you've done has been recent. Within like COVID, there's so much things that you've done too within a couple of years. So I just want to say I'm really proud of you, how far you've come and what you're doing. And, and I'm excited to have you on the show, brother. Man, thank you so much. That was a really great intro <laughs> to everything. Um, yeah, I mean, to kind of add to that, it is, it is something that we try and practice as like a company, but even me as a person and, what I hope like people that I work with kind of view and do the same thing is, you know, something I've talked about over the years is, you know, everyone has or lives certain types of lives. And sometimes it's different for each part of your life. And so maybe there's a certain you like that is like the climbing raft, right? And then the photography raft and the video and then the, the psalm raft and then like, and then just you and your personal time. And sometimes for people, it's different for each one. And I think when we're trying to find our true selves, it's that should be the same person in every aspect of what you do. And then it's kind of like you're, you're not being fake, right? You're, you're actually being your authentic self because like you're this person in and out of your entirety of your life, you know? And it's, for me, it's a lot, I feel like it's just easier, right? Like you go through life and you're a young cook and you want to develop in this industry in some way or form. And sometimes like you, you have to do the things you don't want to do. And it, it challenges you and it, it, 
kind of puts you in an awkward position, right? Because you're like, is that, my, is that my ethos or is that what I'm about? And sometimes years ago in the industry, you kind of had to do the yes chef type of model. And, you know, sometimes people coming out of the industry, there's a lot of trauma. And some of those things is because of that, right? They're not making decisions that are aligning with who they are. So I just try and make sure that everything that I do inside of work, outside of work, as, as a single father, that like that person is always that person no matter what. At what point do you think you realized that you were in that space? <clears throat> or do you think you kind of always were there? Because and the reason I ask that question is I feel like a lot of times in general, maybe whether it be the restaurant industry or other jobs, like people are just in jobs that they don't like. Yeah. And either they have to come to the realization that, hey, this is not for me. Yeah. I need to go develop another mm-hmm. skill or talent. Or maybe it just takes them a while to realize, no, I'm kind of meant to do this. Yeah. And I'm going to continue to do this and take all those those lickings, but keep on moving forward. And do you yeah. think that there was a, a kind of a tipping point for you that you're like, yeah, this uh, is where I'm supposed to be? You know, I don't know if there was like an exact moment. Um, I think a lot of things in life has becomes a culmination of just certain things. Because even when I started cooking, it was just like love for cooking that became a passion, that became understanding leadership, that understanding people and discovering myself through it all. And like, how does that, what's the, the juxtapole of like, the industry of who I am, the things I want to create in my personal goals, and how do I start to like intertwine those to just become like a singular movement, you know? And so I think, um, yeah, I think there was a lot of moments and a lot of certain people and or experiences and mentors that kind of like shaped and guided me into kind of like the path that I'm walking down right now. Do you want to throw a shout out? to any of those mentors, either by name or just with specific instances that have shaped you into kind of some of the best attributes that you have. For example, there was a, a general manager that I worked with a couple jobs ago, probably, well, probably four jobs ago at this point. <laughs> um, but one of like my actual first sommelier positions on the floor, and he was so gung-ho about sharing everything that he knew to his lead um, to his lead management staff, including myself. And I went in there with a, uh, I had come from another job where I was running a wine bar and I really had uh, no understanding of how business numbers worked, how cost of goods worked. And with working with him, I, I mean, he, he was, he really went out of his way to make sure that we really understood those concepts, but also to aggressively, almost to a point where I would get frustrated with him, aggressively promote the people within the group and with around him. So. Hostesses to servers, servers to managers, like very quickly, quickly, quickly. And I found that even though I, at the time, was in a frame of mind where I was like, man, that person's not ready. You're, what are you doing? And I get all freaked out. And more often than not, I feel like when you give people the opportunity to shine, they actually step up to the occasion and they deliver. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was a huge one for me, right? It's like, at the end of the day, like this isn't you know, brain surgery, it's not, we're not trying to send rockets to the moon. Like I think if somebody stumbles a little bit, maybe there's, mm-hmm. there's we can carry them and help them get to the point where they're supposed to get to. But I, that was a big one for me. Um, and I just wanted to share that. And also, I guess where I was going with that too, was kind of why I started doing the show. I yeah. felt almost obliged, like, man, I need to keep passing that on to people. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And not necessarily for me, definitely not for me. I'm still a student. I'm still learning as much as I can. I, I hope that I can always continue to be doing that. Um, but just from, for example, talking with people like yourselves who have accomplished so much or so many other people that I've talked to and, and being able to get that information from them and then help to pass it on to others yeah. in, in hopes that they become better, you know? And, yeah. I, mean, I guess the best way to explain it was actually something that we just did recently together was the avalanche course, right? And the four steps, it was like, it was like choose your team, plan, ride, and then debrief. I think a lot of people, like they go through an experience and they don't know how to unpack it. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to properly prepare for something, or cho- or even like if the plan your or choose your team is is actually like, is this the right opportunity for me? Like, how do you deduce that situation, right? And if you find the correlations in and that's why I think when you're asking if there's a certain person in your life that, or certain moments, I think each person had something, whether I learned something good or bad, but it helped me understand something more about the world, right? And like the correlation with that class is, you know, like the choosing your team is choosing the right opportunity, right? And then once you kind of choose that, then you go through a plan. And then the ride is the execution. And then after all that's said and done, you have your observations and everything like that. You actually unpack it and then you debrief it. You know, and we've had situations where, you know, events or things go down and it didn't go according to plan. And then some of the team will be like, hey, it's, it's all good. Like we, we said it was cool. And when we try and talk about it, it brings up like harsh emotions. And it's like it shouldn't get the ego out of it. You know, like we're talking about something that's going to fix something in the future and hence a debrief, right? We went through that course and it was like, get the ego, like you have to hear everything and you have to face it. Because in an avalanche world, right? Like you don't have many opportunities to, well, I messed up. It's like, no, you're dead, you know? Um, It's not so drastic in a food world, in a situation, but if you're wanting to make a really great first impression, and let's say an event or, or whatever it is going on, that you have to learn from it quickly. You can't just keep making the mistake, making the mistake, and then thinking like, oh, okay, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, yeah, I just, I think uh, I'm very good at like understanding situations, reading it, and then applying it to how can it work for life, or how can it work for home, or for just life in general speaking. You know, on what I really, uh, one of the good takeaways that I had from the Avalanche course too was um, it, in the planning phase is, I, and I'm gonna not, um, I'm not gonna phrase this the correct way, but to always have somebody to be able to list, have the capacity to listen to somebody who is kind of going against your plan, yeah. but more of like in a challenging what your plan is. Yeah. It's like maybe if like we're planning something a little bit too aggressive, yeah. we're getting a little maybe too greedy and talking about the ego, yeah. maybe you have somebody who is, well, there was a word for this person, and I'm totally thinking yeah. it when we were doing the readings, but basically a person who's saying, hey, what if we didn't do that? Yeah, what devil's we, advocate. The devil's advocate, yeah. essentially, mm-hmm. right? It's like, what if we did this a different way? And being able to have the composure and taking your ego out of it to be able to listen to that person and consider what they're saying, that was a really cool concept too because yeah. you can apply that in a lot of scenarios, right? Where you get too much in your own head and mm-hmm. you don't consider somebody else's way of yeah. doing something or a different approach that mm-hmm. might be hurting you in the end. Yeah, like when you're, when you're the chef and you want to make decisions and go and someone's like, hey, I just, what do you think about how could this have been done differently? Sometimes it could be like, no, it, that was just it we're done, like, let's right. move on to the next one. Right. 
And it's like, no, we, we need to learn from it. That way we learn faster and not keep repeating itself, you know? Um, but yeah, it was such a great correlation. And even with like my therapist uh, that I see weekly, everyone should see a therapist in some way or form, it just helps kind of like not dump it on the people that you love, you know? Oh and God. doing yeah, this. It took me a while to, to understand that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, you know? It did. It's like nobody wants to hear your. Or it's, I, I shouldn't say nobody wants to hear, but it's just so unfair. Yeah, that yeah, think yeah. That it's okay to come. Yeah. Um, and yeah. sometimes you feel like, you know, sometimes you bring it to work or home right, and you're like, right. start lacing people up. And it's really just coming from a place of your own vulnerability. Totally. But that's probably a whole nother topic. We can <laughs> really dive is. down. Yeah, no, we yeah, yeah. follow up on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Phil, again, I need to be respect, respectful of our time here, but I think that I would like to, if you could give us like the superhero comic book number one version of Phil Esteban for any East Coast transplant who's new to the city and doesn't know who you are because I feel like everybody else in San Diego has heard of you in one way, shape, or form. Give us a little bit of history of kind of how you got into the industry and maybe some of the different projects that you've walked into. Yeah, um, well, born and raised in San Diego, grew up a portion up in Seattle. Um, Banger and Bremerton, to be exact. My dad was a um, was in the military. We were on a submarine base. Uh, moved back and spent majority of my middle school and high school in San Diego. And then during college, trying to figure out um, what I actually want to do with my career. Uh, my my mom owns a medical company, and typical Asian Filipino family, you know, do something like an engineer, join the military, become a nurse, things like that. And I had like a idea of becoming like a doctor and, and actually like taking over the family business in some way or form. Um, but all the while I was cooking, cooking at home and cooking like when I was in college, cooking for my roommate. And it was one of those uh, Art Institute commercials. It was like, you love cooking? Want to become a chef? Come to the Art Institute. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know. Had a great time. Uh, but I was already like kind of like geeking out and like mincing my herbs and separating mm. everything in its own and kind of doing the whole thing. And my roommate at the time, Mike Duenas, shout out. Um, he was like, dude, you just need to stop going to like this college and drop out and just go to culinary school. So. I did, and um, it was just something that like, I ended up loving very quickly, and uh, kind of like, was, was, that's where I met Mike McKee. Mm -hmm. uh, we became best friends during culinary school, and I kind of feel like you always need that person that's gonna challenge and push you, right? And we were like neck and neck, and like competitions together, and chocolatiering, and all these different things, you know? Um, and then uh, slowly started to work my way up like, from like, lower management to middle management, upper management uh, throughout the industry. Um, traveled quite a bit. It kind of took me around the world, um, some really amazing places, um, and just kind of taught me things about the industry that I, that I just truly love. And sometimes being in it, you kind of lose sight of those things. But I think there was, there was definitely a moment when I was in New York, it was my last day in New York. So I already stopped working at Momofuku. Um, it was like my last couple days, but I was still staging to just kind of like get my fill of, of the industry. And um, my friend, uh, um, she and um, a friend from culinary school set me up with this job at, or a stage at Marea. Um, 
three Michelin hotel circle right in upper Manhattan, right like across from Central Park. And I went in there and, you know, did my typical stage. It was crazy, right? Like 16 people on like just the Garmage line alone, you know, like a whole pastry station, French Island. It was just, it was insane. You know, we went into the prep area. It had a prep area that was a refrigerated room and then another double door refrigerator that was actually the walk-in. So everything stayed temperature controlled, had its own pasta room with wooden blocks. Um, and then you kind of like walk upstairs into this like dreamy kitchen layout. And I was working the Garmage station first as they kind of work you through each station throughout the night. We were finishing up prep. I was setting up my station to start service, but the window like looked out uh, kind of looked out into the New York skyline. So sun was just coming down, so you know, you get that nice golden light hitting all the buildings. And like, I kind of like paused there for a moment, and it was like, this is, like, this is it. Like, I'm not doing anything else in my career. Like, I'm just committing, like, this is it. Like, this is one of the pinnacle moments of like, just, you know, surreal. You know, and went through the stage, uh, the CDC, even got, got to work on the expo line with him. At the end, and I think he ended my night around nine and then was like, hey, so uh, we'll offer you a job if you want to stay in New York. And I'm like, man, I got to get back to San Diego. Um, so ended up moving back, um, flew out the very next morning and then started working at 910 with Jason Nib. Uh, also a great mentor, someone that I look up to and still look up to. He's still crushing it on the line and, and making amazing dishes. Um, but uh, started working at the Cork and Craft after that, um, which kind of like was my sense moving back, kind of like the quick or the early success, I guess, of coming back or accomplishments. I was there from 2013 to 2016 as the executive chef and then um, won Chef of the Year in 2016. Um, and at that point, left them at, in October and then started uh, with Consortium Holdings, second time around, uh, as the research and development chef under Chef Jason McLeod. Mm. Um, and I was there for, uh, what, three and a half, four years? Um, that's where we met. That's where we met, yep. where we opened up Born and Raised together. Um, so many experiences, so many learning opportunities. And uh, again, another, another chef, Jason, two Jasons that were very good mentors for me. And um, he's someone I still talk to this, to this day. And um, he guided, guided me. And one of those things is, you know, as, as a big company, like he had, um, as, as stressful and as heavy as it could be, because it's a lot of locations, <laughs> right? When I first came to the company, there was, what, seven restaurants, uh, one chef, and two sous chefs kind of overseeing everything with Chef Jason managing them. So a bunch of leads running everything else. And our main goal was to uh, reset company structure, set company culture, and then promote from within. And you know, one thing I always ask him every time I would sit with him is like, man, how, like my head would be spinning right now. Like how do you even kind of like cope with all these things going on? So many people in your ear in terms of like cooks and chefs and kind of talking and like, how do you even just manage that? And he would still have the, the grace to just be who he is and, you know, uh, super funny, joking all the time. Did he ever tell you how? Uh, you know, like at, at moments and at times, yes. And it, it was just really kind of a, 
I also like learning and unpacking from him. Um, but it, it was just a lot of moments, just me and him talking in the office and just rapping about just the stress of it. You know, yeah. it is, it's not easy. This industry is not easy. And, um, yeah, you know. Unbelievable. Sorry to interrupt you. But yeah. Just, I 100% agree. Shout out to Chef Jason. We love you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, an actual unbelievable skill in being able to do just that with under all the pressure and stress of having yeah. to look over so many different locations um, <clears throat> and just the pace of that group, right? Which yeah. is relentless. Yeah. Um, and to be able to still come in and, you know, we talked about what we were, what were we just talking about? How yeah. did we realize that we need to go to a therapist and not <laughs> yeah, yeah. problems on people? Everybody would come to him and dump their problems on him. him yeah. Because and still be, take it on. And still yeah. take it on and be able to still be the great person that he was and help guide you in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I mean, man, I don't know if I've met anybody who's done yeah. that. You know, I, yeah, a lot of it was, I was asking a lot of questions about his like career path and things and scenarios. And, you know, uh, I, you know, asked him about when he started in the industry and his kind of first job uh, as well. And like what it was like and kind of just understanding the pressures that he went through. Cause I think that is what ends up kind of like shaping you, right? Like you have to have the hard conversations. You have to go through the hard experiences. If it was just easy all the way through, you're gonna break <laughs> the moment something happens, you know? And so I just imagine that he has gone through some amazing challenges in the most positive way to kind of shape him who he is. And then kind of as the, there's this book that I read um, numerous times uh, and uh, it's called Super Bosses by Sidney Finkelstein. Um, there's a great um, video at, on the Mad Symposium uh, website that you could kind of, he does like a little like 20 minute speech about the book. But the book basically is kind of de deduces how a super boss, as he coins it, can lead to your success. And if you look within like a, let's say the last 30 Super Bowl winners and like the coaching tree, you know, all the coaches all stem from one coach. You know, if you look at, you know, you talked about this uh, Philadelphia Star um, editor that he like in his tenure, 20 year tenure, his, uh, his um, staff, he's produced, you know, like Pulitzer Prize winners, Nobel Prize winners, they're all running their own publications, things like that. And I think that if you've worked within a structure and if you've worked within a certain mentor or guide and, and who they worked for, you end up kind of picking up these little pieces. And that's why I think it's important for people in San Diego to leave. There are now fast forward 15 years in industry, 20 years plus now, like uh, there are a lot of great chefs that have come from, you know, uh, lineage of, of other great chefs. So they're teaching this new crop, this new pool, which has kind of been depleted over the past 15 years, right? Like mm -hmm. 15 years ago, you could probably pull anyone off the street and they'd be an amazing cook, you know? And then 10 years, you know, it was like, you kind of heard everyone saying like, man, I just wish people kind of like, they just came with like some type of knowledge or experience. And maybe it changed because chefs were not teaching as much anymore. They were like, they were still teaching, but teaching what they wanted to just do versus actually teaching them to be people and, and I think what happened in the industry was there was a dehumanizing 
in a sense, right? Like they kind of took the human factor out and it was like, I just need you to do a job. Can you do a job? I'm paying you, blah, 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 blah. Versus like actually like we're people, right? Like we, we go through life, we have, we have problems, we have things, we have lives that we have to live outside of work. And it just became so much about the work, which is, don't get me wrong, still very important because as we've all experienced, like you should have a purpose. But I think as we kind of get through and I think is, is the, the balance of it, right? Like how do, you, how do you find this kind of place where you can have your, your personal time, your work, your family, and, and still achieve the goals that you want to achieve in life, you know? Yeah, that's a great point. I think it's kind of tricky too for people because you, what you're saying essentially is that now there's a very big importance of, you know, or, or I guess a responsibility for chefs to be able to take these people and teach them the skills, not expect that, hey, well, you should know this already. Like, you know, I want to be able to show you what I've learned, what I've learned over the past. How do you, how do you know which are the right people that are actually going to do that for yeah. you? Yeah, you know, I think this could be a tricky thing for new chefs. It is, you know, and uh, we actually just had this question earlier today, and it was just one of those, like, at the core, I think everyone's a good person, right? Like, everyone wants to do well, and everyone wants to do good in their job or in their personal life and all these things. But, and you, when you interview someone and you go through the process, you don't know what they're truly like until, like, three, six months down the line. Right. So, you know, everyone's always like, you got to have a better vetting process, right? And at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's one of those, like, everyone's a good person and they want to do good and be good, but these other parts in their life continue to shape them, right? And it could be personal, it could be work-related, it could be a chef that just kind of, like, kind of just kept whittling them away till it was just, you know, nothing, you know? And, um, and those are the parts that are the uh, intangibles that you don't know, right? And how do, you, how do you figure that out without spending time with these people? How do you do it? What's your vetting process? Uh, you know, I mean, it's, I don't know. At, I always say in interviews is like, I, I don't hire based on, like, yeah, I would like to know some, some form of skill or where, what you've done. But, you know, the main thing is I try and really look for is, is the good people, right? Like, I can't teach you to be nice to someone else. Like, if you're just a dick, sorry, you're just a dick, right? And I can't teach you be to be nice. I could teach you how to cook. Right. I could teach you how to do a lot of other things. But if you're just not at the core, and, you know, I think experiences, sometimes I've, like, gone against that and been like, hey, let me just, let me, let me put out a hand, you know? And let me just see if, like, I want people to do well. And I, I, I innately have that, like, known for giving people second chances. Or the company is like, oh, we, you guys give a lot of people chances. And, but we've been on the other side of it where people don't get chances, mm -hmm. right? You, you make a mistake and you're instantly fired. But, or not even given the, the next position, for example. Yeah, you know? Keep you where you are. Yeah. Keep you where you are and you just, like, damn, what am I doing with my career? You start second guessing it. Yeah. You know, yeah, you should help create a map. And I think there should be a line drawn of like, you can't just keep giving chances. But I think that there's an understanding, right? That's the point of empathy, right? Like part of this industry, this human factor, like we're in a business of human interaction. But it's so transactional now in like a very like, what have you done? This is what I need. Thank you. Goodbye. Pay your bill or I need you to do this job. You're being paid to do this. If not, you're fired. Right. But, you know, like, 
again, going back to the human side of it is, you know, like I'm a single father of two boys. And like, I, I always try to remind myself, uh, and it's that like the things that I would do um, changes in that lifestyle because of my fatherhood, you know, and being a father. And then to understand it from a cook or another parent or another manager or another owner, like people come with, everyone has skeletons in their closets, man, you know? And sometimes people in business make people use it against each other and or use it as a scapegoat for themselves. But I think if we have the ability to just kind of listen and then understand and then kind of have the, that empathy part of it, then like you could actually have some groundbreaking pieces, you know? Yeah, I think, um, no, I think there's some gold in there for sure. That was essentially, you answered a question that I didn't ask, but I was gonna, I was going to dig in a little bit about your culture with the people that surround you at your restaurants because what I've seen too is that you all seem very tight and mm -hmm. there's a very honest kind of community and connection uh, and I was going to ask you how you think that you've built that but I think that you just answered that actually. Yeah, I mean there's definitely a lot of layers to it yeah. but an important part is something, the same thing that me and Chef Jason McLeod experienced at CH was that him as the executive chef and then me as the R&D chef um, a lot of people came to the company and they're like, hey, I'm coming here to work for you. And then the harsh reality is that they're not working for me or Chef Jason. They're working for a chef that works under us. And in that form, right, in terms of the, I guess you could say in that super boss model and or lineage, you hope that they carry the same traits as, as you do. That's not always the case, right? right? And... Um, yeah, we've had our fair share of difficulties too. Like we're not immune to it, um, but we do try and like live and run the company in the best way that we see fit, you know? And um, for the most part, yeah, everyone is super tight, you know? And there is challenges with that because, you know, the, the friendships part get in the way, you know? And, and we've probably seen that in any other industry, right? Like there's uh, scenarios where it's like, hey, we got it or, or kind of like the inner trust, like the trust, it's not saying micromanage people, but the trust is so high because the friendship is there. And then you don't get the, you don't truly check off the boxes because you're like, hey, like, you know, I, I'm trusting you, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, whereas like in the avalanche training, it was saying like, hey, dude, you, you, you have to be the devil's advocate. Right. Friendship or not, ego or not, like our lives on the matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's again, it's not to that level and that seriousness, but it's at the same time, you know, having to separate that in the certain moments, there's been difficulty in that. Yeah. But there's two more things I want to ask you. Because yeah. I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Close. Yeah. We're, we're getting over our. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, and it's just a shame because I could talk to you all day about this stuff, man. And we're going to have to do a part two for sure. Yeah. Yeah. A couple other things. One, I, I, I can't, uh, personally, I just cannot uh, end this whole conversation without asking you just a little bit about the work that you do for the community. It seems mm -hmm. like a lot of the stuff that you're doing. Um, you know, you, you, you built this, this recent kind of the creative hub that you guys do and a lot of things that are really to give back to the community. And, and yeah. I read an article actually about, um, kind of a little, where you, you, you went a little bit deeper into some of your own kind of personal family history and, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and maybe how that might've influenced you into yeah. what you're doing now. And I just kind of wanted to pick your brain. Maybe you wanted to go yeah. a deeper into that. Um, so it was a, a long time kind of like 
in the process, though it may have seemed like a short two, three years to kind of get where we're at. Like in the short amount of time, the three years, it's really like the five years prior that like no one saw because it was like behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's like, oh dude, you did so much so fast. But there was five years prior to that where we were doing pop-ups, we were developing it, we were honing in the idea of what we wanted to create. Like, I mean, even all the, the concepts and names, they were all there, you know, um, but there was early stages we were talking to investors and you kind of go through the process and just kind of learn it, right? And I got like, like literally chewed up and spit out like 12 times, you know? And through those processes you learn and you kind of like get thicker skin, you kind of know what people are asking for, what they need to know. Um, but there was one in particular, um, a really great one that I still talk to this day, his name is Tony Elias. He owns a Filipino school up in, um, up in uh, North County, um, Scripps Ranch area, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, but anyhow, he, uh, we were telling about the community work that we were already doing. Um, and I'll kind of get into that community part, but the connection is, as I was telling him the story, he was telling me about this term called kababayan. I've never heard it in my life, like being Philam, being from San Diego, I could barely speak and understand part of like cooking my own food is learning my own culture through that experience. And I'm like learning so much more about who I am as a person doing this, you know? Um, but he told me this term and it just, it just means like community or, or civic spirit um, as like coming together in, in unity. And um, it was just kind of like the work that we were doing and for for Filipino Americans and minorities in general coming up in the food industry, um, like when I was in high school, there was no resources to go to culinary school to understand that could be a resource. And when I finally went to culinary school, it was, you know, like a white male dominated industry. No one was doing Filipino food. Right. So it took me many years to finally feel comfortable that like I could actually do that. Um, but, uh, so, you know, time goes on, pandemic is, 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 well, it's 2019, so pandemic hasn't happened yet, uh, but it was like Christmas time, but we were already doing community work and events and things like that. And, um, you know, Tony Elias was like, oh, you're, you're Kababayan, you're the, you're the spirit of community. And so I was like at a family party up in Glendale, and I was at my aunt's house and I was talking to my family and I was like, hey, so like they could speak and understand. And I was like, hey, I just learned a term and it's Kababayan. And like, I never knew about it. I was telling them about it. And they were like, your grandfather was Kababayan. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he was like, yeah, like he, Barkada means gang, but it's kind of like just really a group. Um, the, the bad connotation is like, kind of like whatever. But um, his Barkada, um, like when it would rain, they would dig the trenches so the town, the little village wouldn't flood. You know, his, his barcada created the first school within the community to, for children, you know, and things like that. And it was just like, what Tony Elias was saying was like, even though I felt like I wasn't connected to my own culture, I couldn't speak or understand, in the end, what I just naturally innately did was be who I was, which was Filipino, which was Kababayan. And there is a spirit through it with, you know, your ancestral, ancestral guiding you to uh, 
to, to doing the thing that you're supposed to do. Like my grandfather's past and, you know, it was way before I was still like a kid in, culinary, in, in elementary school. So there was no understanding of like Kababayan. And in the end, I was just following in his footsteps, you know, and also just being innately who I am, Filipino. And I never knew, you know. I always thought it was just this higher, like, I'm just being a chef, you know, like doing what I need to do, you know. When in the end, it was, but it was also me just being connected to who I am or listening to my, my ancestors. Um, yeah. That's awesome, man. That's, that's epic. I mean, it's, it's because you are being so much more than just a chef, right? Like that's, I think, one of the things that people recognize really about you, too, is that you, you're really kind of so committed to the community and the people around you that, it's, again, like yeah. you said at the beginning, it's very yeah. noticeable. Um, one thing, we, oh, oh, one please, thing I wanted please, to please. add was like actually a really great experience to kind of like tie it on together. Uh, you know, the idea of creating like a pipeline for future generations and people. So now Christmas happens, Kababayan, we were talking about it. And then March 16th, we all know what happened. 2020 was the pandemic. All restaurants, everything shut down. The whole ecosystem shut down. But um, we were still doing our catering and, and feeding communities. But... Um, the building I live in, like I was coming home and there was this young kid that was wearing an Amazon, like, you know, coat and everything, putting boxes away in the like Amazon boxes. And he, um, you know, I go to the elevator, push the button and just kind of waiting there. And then the kid goes like, Chef Phil. And like, I look over, like, I don't know who the kid is, but I'm just like, oh, like, oh, shoot, you know, hopefully if you see this video, uh, please reach out. I, you know, I did ask his name, but sorry, I don't remember. But I wish we stayed in contact. But he was like, hey, you know, I didn't mean to startle you, but I just wanted to say, like, thank you for what you're doing. Like, because of you, I started cooking. You know, it's like, it's one thing that, like, gets me choked up every time because it was such a serendipitous moment, nothing planned, like, literally just trying to go home in my building. And he's just like, my restaurant closed during the pandemic, the one I was cooking at, and I'm just, I'm working as an Amazon driver right now until things get better. But he was just like, I just want you to know that I started this whole career because of you. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think that is kind of a key point for the community work, right? Like the underserved, the kind of South Bay, and kind of creating these spaces for community. And part of that with Open Gym and whatever the other business partners are creating, whether it's like Futures Color, what Irwin does, and he has like jazz nights and um, Afrotronics and different spaces to kind of celebrate these subcultures that aren't really kind of out there for just people that kind of look like them, right? That, um, that they could feel comfortable in, that they could go and just be themselves. And so I think that is a very big proponent to what Open Gym is and, and the ethos and the things that we want to create. I love it, brother. That's amazing. I think that there's probably a ton of people out there who haven't, who didn't have maybe the opportunity to tell you that's why they got into the industry or that's why they're doing something or, you know, but like I think that when you get to a position like where you're at and you have so many different projects going in great directions, like the ripple effect of what happens, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sh just like that, I'm sure, you know, you have a story of um, somebody who influenced you and maybe you didn't even get a chance to tell them. Mm -hmm. I certainly do. 
yeah, like, yeah. people throughout the industry that like I may not even have told them, but a certain thing that they did or a certain recognition or they gave yeah. me a certain opportunity or they they taught me something that's like, man, I'll never forget that. Like it, it's it it just and it's such a positive ripple effect, right? Because it 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 just creates more of a desire to want to create more of those positive influences yeah. and experiences for other people. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Um, again, I, I could do this for another hour. I have a long <laughs> list of questions. But you got to go. <laughs> and you got to go, too. 15 minutes late. I'm on the same page. Brother, thank you so much for your time. Um, just where can people find you online? Maybe a couple of shout-outs of some upcoming projects you may have. I can't even tell yeah. them at this uh, point. White Rice Linda there. Vista will be opening up soon, and then our Wildflower Deli uh, in Liberty Station. It'll be around early summertime, uh, but you could follow everything on Instagram at OpenGymSD or myself, Philip Esteban. Uh, there you could really find um, all the other projects, things like that. So cool. shout-out to the teams. You guys rocking. Couldn't do it without you guys. Appreciate you, 100. We're going to put all that stuff up on the link, too, so people can go check it out. My brother, thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate the time. All right, my man. You. Yeah.